The nun's letter intercepted Juan Miguel Quintero Rios on the road to Port Bolivar. Her handwriting was small and precise and easy to read, even in the back of a bouncing cart on a rough paved road made rougher by the lunging wind. No natural-born American, that one. Irish, the padre guessed by her name and her habit. What she was doing on the Gulf was anyone's guess, and how she'd learned of him he did not know. It was the only question she left unanswered in her carefully composed response. He did not care, but he was curious. Despite that one omission, her small bundle of papers contained a wealth of new information. At first she told him only that the hotel hated, and it hungered. Now, in this most recent message, she told him the rest. In 1878, a cattle baron by the name of Jack Darnell had bought the property and its surrounding acreage, hoping to build a resort that would rival any in Houston, or even the great estates of the Caribbean. But his plans were hotly resisted by the locals, for in order to create this castle on an island, a landmark must be destroyed. On the site of the proposed hotel, a blue jacaranda bloomed. No one knew for certain why the tree was planted there or who had installed it on the island, though someone must have done so, for it was not native to the region, and it was quite ancient by any standard. Alas, the original gardener had long since passed, leaving no real clues behind. But one rumor had attained the status of a fairy tale, short and sad. A conquistador loved a woman, and that woman had loved the jacaranda. When she died, he planted this one in her honor, if not her memory. For not even the most dedicated listener or oldest island resident knew the woman's name. And after all, that was only a rumor. Though it might have held a grain of truth, it just as likely didn't. Regardless, the tree was greatly beloved. For as long as anyone remembered, it had been a favorite place for lovers to meet and children to climb. Its trumpet-shaped flowers cascaded in clusters of purple-blushed indigo. Over the years, they'd been woven into the braids of a thousand maidens and offered in a thousand gestures of romantic intent. They were gathered into bouquets for weddings and laid upon caskets as sweet farewells. To be sure, there were other flowers on the island, but none compared to these. All the same, Ground was broken for Jack Darnell's hotel, and likewise was the tree. People came from every corner of the island to witness its destruction, not with the morbid glee of those who attend a hanging, but with the sorrow of a loved one's wake. It was said that one last blossom was taken in the end and pressed between the pages of a Methodist minister's Bible as a reminder of the wickedness that men may do. Wicked or only ambitious, Darnell constructed his castle. He never gave a second thought to the tree. In fact, he had never set eyes on it in the first place. Whereas the tree had been living, lithe, and sprawling, the hotel that replaced it was a blocky, almost manly affair, built in a style just ahead of its time, or so Darnell was assured by his architects. Its symmetry was clean and precise, and its lines stopped short of being austere. 
for there were touches of art at the corners and details of refinement along the ivory plaster and red bricks. The graphite shade of the cornerstones and the wood-framed windows, with their narrow sills and shutters the color of rust. Inside, the floors were set with clean, dramatic mosaic tiles in sharp white, black, and green, and the fixtures were mostly brass that had been polished until they gleamed like mirrors. It spoke of wealth without too much ostentation, and quality without excessive frivolity. All in all, It was a restrained place for a man with so much money and such grandiose plans. But his wife might have been the guiding, stabilizing hand in that matter. In the end, the hotel was given her name. They called it Odessa's Court.